Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's The Argument. I'm Jane Koston. Today's episode is a little different. It's a live conversation I had recently with Andrew Yang and David Jolly to talk about their new venture, The Forward Party. It's their answer for Democrats and Republicans who aren't happy with their current party. And you know what? I can see the appeal of third parties. I'm actually a registered libertarian, though I'm starting to feel not very good about it. Even as a third party enthusiast, though, I was skeptical. See, third parties, for many reasons, haven't gotten very far when it comes to actually getting things done on the national stage. You've never had a Constitution Party president, for example. And the Forward Party has a lot of ideas about changing how we vote, but no broader platform to vote on. Andrew Yang is a former candidate for president in 2020 and candidate for mayor of New York City in 2021 and co-chair of the Forward Party. David Jolly is a former Republican congressman and executive chairman of the Serve America movement, which merged with the Forward Party. Here's our conversation. Hello, everyone. Ooh, we got call and response. I love that energy. Um, a big thank you to all of you for having us. Andrew and David, welcome. Thanks for having us, Jane. Good to be here. So... Let's get started. Andrew, why a new party now? What is the situation that you are responding to? Well, first, let me say thank you all for being here. You must be at least third party curious. <laughs> uh, I ran for president and came off the trail in 2020 and then tried to figure out why I still felt despondent about the trajectory of American politics, even though my campaign had probably done better than I had any right to expect <laughs> when I started out. I mean, my goal was to mainstream the idea of universal basic income. Um, so on some level, I should have felt pretty good, but I actually felt terrible still. And so I tried to figure out why I felt so negatively. And after I did a lot of reading and research, uh, I concluded that the problem was that we have a political system that's structured by design to frustrate us and fail us. And it will lead us toward uh, increased antagonism, unrest, and get worse, not better. So after I drew that conclusion, then I was like, oh my gosh, how the heck do we get out of this mess? And I concluded my book saying, we need to have a positive unifying third party movement that changes the incentives and the mechanics that right now are disproportionately empowering the most extreme hyperpartisans on both sides. So I said, look, this is the solution. We need to start this positive, unifying third-party movement. And I looked in the mirror and said, I'm one of the most likely people in the country to do that, so I will do that. And so that's how I came to this set of conclusions. And I'm thrilled to be making common cause with leaders like David Jolly and Bill King and many others who've been ahead of me on this curve and have been fighting for real political choice in our communities for years. But David, on a very basic level, what exactly is having a third party going to mean for voters? Will people see candidates on their ballot 
with FWD next to their name? Will people have another box to check off when they register to vote? So let me do a little housekeeping because of professional conflicts. I'm not a, a formal leader of the Forward Party, but I right. can speak very generally to this, having led one of the organizations that merged into Forward, and frankly, as an excited participant in the new party space. I think for generations, our frustration has been, has been identified wrongly in that one party's too left and one party's too right. And it's, it's not actually around ideology, it's that no major or minor party today has a big enough tent to welcome everybody. And, and understand the nuance of that, right? My experience as a Republican member of Congress having left the party and, and facing a choice, do I join another minor party? Do I join another major party? The challenge was the same in each consideration, which was parties kind of exist to crush independent thought. <laughs> they do. Like if, if you sign up for a party, the way parties are engineered in the United States today, you have to subscribe to the entire grocery list of these are all the positions I agree to. And I, I couldn't reconcile my own politics within the dogma of any major or minor party. And so because of that, the experiment we embarked upon, the organizations then, one of which I led into this merger, was kind of a celebration of diversity of thought, left, right, and middle. And so will you see new party candidates emerge? I, I'll let Andrew speak specifically to forward party, but what I will tell you is that state laws don't actually create a pathway towards new party movements. And what is often conflated in this space is, oh, we're going to see a presidential candidate that's going to transform politics. That is a very different story than building a viable, durable, sustainable new party in the United States. And that's what Forward has embarked upon. 62% of Americans feel we need a third U.S. political party. To be clear, there are actually lots of minor parties. That's right. But uh, something I, I would be curious about is because a lot of voters say that they are independent voters, but that doesn't really shift how they vote. Nah, come on. Roughly three out of four independents still lean to one or, of sure. the two major parties. Independents who lean towards a party also tend to back that party at the same rate as openly partisan voters. How do you, how do you explain that difference? Andrew, let me take this. Because they're forced into a funnel. <laughs> and, and let me speak somewhat esoterically, but also very uh, practically. When we register to vote, right, when you go to your county courthouse and you, and you sign up to vote, they ask you in a very agnostic, equitable way, how do you identify your politics, right? We've all done this. You just fill out a form. You say, my name is, and I'm a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green, Libertarian, whatever I am. I'm, I'm just gonna check this off to say, this is who my, I am. This is how I exercise my politics. And at that moment of equity, we actually declare ourselves a plurality independent country. Think about that. When we're presented with the option, we say the plurality of America chooses something other than the major parties. The statistics you just cited, which are, which are used often, represent the first Tuesday in November, which is when we're only presented with two choices. So the critics, of the independent space will say, ah, they're not really independents because we actually vote 50-50. You only vote 50-50 because you're only given you're only two choices in November. This is the threshold question. Anyone who says, hey, uh, it turns out that all these independents are just imaginary, it turns out they'd all just vote Democrat or Republican, 
then just change it to nonpartisan open primaries and ranked choice voting right. and see how people vote. The fact is tons of people are voting with, to a DRR because as David just said, those are your choices. So let's just challenge the parties and say, hey, if you're so confident that independents don't exist, let's just open up the voting system via ranked choice voting to let people vote for whomever they want. And of course, you know, they'll be like, oh no, can't do that, can't do that. <laughs> So what, what they're doing is they're artificially suppressing competition and then imagining that independents don't exist. As you can tell, and, and the thing is, Jane here is actually, you know, I mean, she herself is, uh, let's say, skeptical of the, the two-party system as well. So it's not like, I mean, I'm getting animated over, you know, like a rationale I know you don't actually <laughs> believe in. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll get to that. But Andrew, I, I want to actually shift to thinking about when you can think of your ideal forward party candidate what does that look like? I mean, what kind of Democrat or Republican do you feel like is going to leave their party behind to align with forward? Or could you be a Democrat and a forward party candidate? Uh, so first, the way the forward party works right now is you do not have to give up your current party registration to join forward uh, because that would be impractical in a lot of districts and jurisdictions. We're not on the ballot in a lot of places and we don't want you to not be able to vote. So you can join forward as a Democrat, as a Republican, and it's all to the good. And then perhaps after we're on the ballot, then you can make uh, that choice after we start opening the system up. Um, my ideal forward candidate would be someone who just wants to make things better for their community, is all about results, solutions, policies, doesn't demonize anyone. And I'm happy to say that there are people who resemble that from both parties that are very, very attracted to what we're building in large part because they see the polarization that's getting worse and worse here in Texas and in other parts of the country. They see that families are being torn apart, friendships are being lost. Our country genuinely is on the precipice of civil strife and, and conflict. So looking though at your party platform, because what you just said about people wanting to work together and wanting to get results, that you are very focused right now on reforming how elections work. Your platform talks about three priorities, implementing ranked choice voting, nonpartisan primaries, and independent redistricting commissions in every state. Very sexy stuff. <laughs> it sounds like you're making a party that is focusing right now on process, not policy. So why not start a nonprofit group first and then think about a party? Why go at a political party first? All right, check it out, check it out. So. Uh, <laughs> So I come off the presidential trail, I conclude what we need to do is change the incentives, like they did in Alaska, by the way, shifted to nonpartisan open primaries and ranked choice voting, which already has allowed Lisa Murkowski to survive uh, her primary, one of the only legislators who voted to impeach Trump who's actually going to make it back. It's because of the process. Also resulted in Sarah Palin losing uh, that congressional race uh, in a more conventional race. She probably wins. Um, so if you look at the fact that we're focusing on the process, the process will drive the policy because the people become the policy. Right now, if you take a reasonable person and you inject them into this set of incentives, they're going to get less reasonable quick. David is friends with a whole host of folks. I don't want to speak for David. I'll, I'll speak to myself, whatever. I'm friends with a host <laughs> of people who actually are pretty reasonable and lucid when you talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, but then when you stick them in front of a bunch of party activists with a TV camera, all of a sudden they seem like Looney Tunes. And you're like, why is that? It's because their incentives demand that that's the way that they seem. If you want them to become reasonable, and by the way, attract better people into the process, because there are a lot of good people who will not go near this process, then what you need to do is you need to change uh, the incentive structure. 
Here's one thing I would add about why a party is necessary. So you're right. In, I often say there are three lanes to this space. There are the, we should all get along, I'll say kind of no labels space, which our Republicans and Democrats need to work better together. Fantastic mission, aspirational, let's do it. The second lane is electoral reform. Can we open up primaries? Can we have ranked choice voting? Can we have fusion voting? All of those procedural issues. And the third lane is the new party space. Why is a new party needed? Well, first, as we've established, you have a plurality of Americans who are actually looking for something other than the major parties. So within this broad movement, you need that third lane of a new party that can actually effectuate change. And you know who's proven this to be, at least for us, the right course of action? Is David's organization, the Serve America Movement, in Connecticut, where just two weeks ago, the governor of Connecticut came out for ranked choice voting. Why did he do that? Was it because it was sound policy or a nonprofit presented him a white paper and he found it compelling? Of course fucking not. We know that's not the way this stuff works. You know why he did it? Because he wanted to win his race. Andrew, so you, you've alluded to my, my political journey, um, which is very boring, but I, I became a libertarian because I had a major policy dispute with both major parties specifically on civil liberties and state power and law enforcement. That was it. Uh, it was a policy thing Those about Those are cops. three big things. Those are three. Way. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I became a libertarian. And I did not become a libertarian because of the process of voting. I became a libertarian because of what we were voting for. And I think that that's the case for a lot of people who are drawn to third parties, which is that you are drawn to the libertarian party well, this current iteration of the Libertarian Party, I don't know why you're drawn to it, and that's a separate story altogether, but like you are drawn to the policies of these parties, or you are pushed away from a political party because of their policies. You look at today's Republican Party and you say, no thank you, or you look, you are dissuaded from today's Democratic Party, but you were dissuaded because of the policies. Andrew, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I, I love this line of thought because the majority of Americans are not thrilled with uh, the policies that are being enacted at any level. We're 30th in the world at public education, clean drinking water, life expectancy, infant mortality. But then unfortunately, our anger is getting channeled into this partisan battle and saying, you know why you're angry? Immigrants. You know why you're angry? Those people over there. No, we're angry because we have a government that doesn't actually respond to us no matter what our policy proclivities are, whether it's around, oh, well, there's some applause going, so <laughs> You know, whether it's around uh, civil liberties or climate change or public education. So th this is important. What do you think the approval rating is for Congress right now? I'm anchoring you low, so. Five plus. <laughs> It's like 20 to 28 percent, according to recent polls. Three out of four Americans don't like it. What is the re-election rate for individual incumbent members of Congress? 94 percent. For you sports fans, it's a better win rate than the Jordan-era Chicago Bulls. So in that system, the vast majority of people are very frustrated, but their individual member is guaranteed a re-election. Why? Because about 90 percent of these districts are uncompetitive in the general. So you know it's gonna be a Republican or Democrat, and then that, like, that person's gonna win. So millions of Americans are looking up being like, where do I go to change anything in this system? And one of the only outlets is the presidential. I'm gonna suggest that's a flawed outlet. You, like, you'd want outlets at every, <laughs> at every level. Um, but when you talk about people's frustration with policy, 
Joan, it's nearly universal. There are very few Americans who are like, oh, yeah, like this government is delivering everything I want at the level I want it. So you want politics to help people find common ground, which sounds great. But even on a couple of the issues that you raised, whether it's public education or climate change or issues like abortion, which has become in many states a new area of division, there are lots of things where people are not going to be able to find common ground on. There is no such thing as common sense abortion policy for, I would say, 40% of Americans. So how do you think about those issues? And where do you stand on those issues where there are going to be people where you can't no labels it? So <laughs> yeah. let me provide some context and, and then give to you, because, because this is very important even in your conversation about the Libertarian Party. For a significant amount of the country, you identify your politics with dogma and ideology. And that's okay, that's a good thing. Tone's important here, we don't need to criticize that, right? If, if there are specific ideological convictions that motivate you and there is a vehicle for you to exercise those politics, you should do that, God bless you. I'm sitting next to a guy who made the word math trend, okay? <laughs> there are a significant number of Americans who, who want outcome-based, measurable, metrics to policy making. And that's a different approach to politics. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, and this is, this is incredibly important, because particularly on the issue of abortion and life, there are millions of Americans who want to exercise their politics in a very specific direction as part of a very specific coalition. But what we learned coming out of the Dobbs decision is there are millions of Americans that see this as incredibly complex. You now have pro-life Americans saying, maybe I was pro-Roe all along. I was just duped into this binary choice of pro-life and pro-choice. Where do I exercise the balance? Because it's not available to me in the current parties who are only offering me one direction or another. The, the point of, uh, that I'm trying to make is sometimes in conversation around politics, be it R, D, or nonpartisan, we operate in this world of convincing 100% of America, but that's not actually our mission because the mission is actually pluralism and allowing multiple voices to be heard on the same stage. And so if the R's and the D's and the Libertarians and the Greens have a platform to allow their dogma to be heard, where is that outcome-based coalition that just wants a government that speaks for the most people in the most common sense way? That's the thread that seems to, to bind the American domestic independent movement. Yeah, uh, so I think that women's reproductive rights are fundamental human rights uh, myself. But the, the vast majority of Americans agree that there should be some access to abortion up to a certain uh, period of time. And it's a deeply dysfunctional political system where you wind up with something that runs afoul of what the vast majority of Americans want. Like th this is a symptom of how bad things have gotten that you have these two parties that are servicing minorities of American voters and saying, hey, this is what we're going to, to impose on everyone. Like, that's a sign of how broken things are. So I, I want to go back a little bit and think about the history of third parties. And we've seen examples of third parties, David, that have influenced elections and politics in the past by getting people activated around very specific issues, often very divisive issues. In the 1848 election, you have the Free Soil Party, which was founded by anti-slavery politicians. Didn't win, but really helped to influence the anti-slavery movement. 
How have you seen third parties influencing American democracy for the better? So very importantly, out of that era, we saw the birth of the Republican Party, right? The one area that has some credence in the criticism of the new party space in America today is what is that catalyzing issue? Is there a slavery issue? Is there an abortion issue? What is the issue? You can make the case that we're in an era where we have to protect American democracy. I believe we are. The Democrats are actually making that case very strongly. I actually think what we see mobilize the independent space today is this desperation to be able to exercise independent thought and independent politics. As a Republican, I was in favor of climate science, gun control, campaign finance reform, and sympathetic to abortion rights. It made me a very bad Republican. <laughs> But I was also for less taxes, less regulation, and some very basic business sense of governing, which made me a very bad Democrat. That is the breakdown of where we sit as a country. There is a plurality of the country that just wishes to solve issues for the American people. You made a comment earlier about uh, Democrats and democracy. I have to admit, I get very frustrated when Democrats act as if they're the defending democracy party when they'll do things like elevating an election-denying extremist against Peter Meyer who voted to impeach Trump. I thought that was immoral. Uh, you know, you had a Republican member of Congress who I know who voted to impeach Trump, got death threats, and then his reward from the Democratic Party for defending democracy at deep personal cost was them spending $1.5 million on his extremist election-denying opponent because they thought that he'd be easier to defeat in the general. And then they stand up and say, hey, we have to defend democracy. You know, I mean, Peter Meyer freaking did it right in front of us for all to see, and then you shivved him. So it aggravates me. Look, I, I was a Democrat for years and years. I have many, many friends within the Democratic Party, but the Democratic Party has some very anti-lowercase d Democratic freaking tendencies where they'll like kick minor parties off the ballot with gusto. They'll de deny ranked choice voting in Nevada because it's against their own political interests. So we, we have to distinguish between the Democratic Party and lowercase d democracy. Like the, the way out of this mess is more genuine democracy, not less. And when you look at the third party movements of the past number of years, first, let me be the first to say that if the role of the forward party is to drive better action and policy and behavior from the existing parties, that is a victory. Like if the forward party just comes up and just pushes the Democratic Party to become a better version of itself, that is a win. But do we really think that's going to happen absent this kind of movement? A Democratic governor reached out to me, and I respect him and like him. I'd consider him a friend even. And he was like, hey, Andrew, what can we do to, like, steal your thunder? And I was like, just adopt ranked choice voting everywhere. You know? That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, Andrew, I know you, you talked about some of your goals of, you know, just get everyone to accept ranked choice voting. But I'm curious as to between now and 2024, you've talked about getting ballot access, getting candidates in races. So what needs to happen between now and 2024 that will make you say this was a success? Oh, yeah. So uh, I don't know if you all know this about me, but uh, I'm a very results-oriented guy. I'm an operator. Um, so we have very concrete goals in the here and now. We want to get on the ballot in 15 states by the end of this calendar year. There's a Senate race in Utah that I think is an enormous opportunity for the entire country. A guy named Evan McMullen is running as an independent against Mike Lee, a Trump-endorsed incumbent, and he demonstrates that you can have an independent 
who's competitive in a state that Trump won by 21 points that people think of as non-competitive if you have a different, positive, unifying uh, message and candidacy. There's a ballot initiative in Nevada that turns the dial and shifts them to nonpartisan open primaries and ranked choice voting. It's very, very high stakes. So we're trying to put points on the board at every level and recruit hundreds, even thousands of the 500,000 locally elected officials around the country, 70% of whom are in uncompetitive or uncontested races. And the, the Libertarian Party claims to have approximately 300 elected representatives around the country. Uh, we think we can beat that also by year end. Uh, we want to have 2,000 by next year, and not even necessarily through winning races, but through recruitment. I talked to a school board member who said, hey, I'm gonna join the Ford Party on November 9th. Like, I'm gonna get through my, my race, and I'm gonna turn around and, and, and join you all. There are tens of thousands of effectively independent, nonpartisan elected officials around the country that will look at joining Ford because if they join us, you know what they get? A mailing list, donors, national support. They get to come to the convention as one of our prized elected representatives. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't get that now. Um, so we're, we're going to be growing at the local level, and then before you know it, we'll have 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 elected representatives creating a real center of gravity so that people get rewarded for delivering results and being the kind of reasonable leaders that we've been looking for. After the break, questions from some skeptics in the audience. Drexel University infuses academics with the power of real experience. Through Drexel's renowned cooperative education program, students are empowered to test drive future careers and discover the perfect profession before graduation. By embracing experiential education, this Philadelphia institution has created a practical yet transformative academic model that inspires intellectual exploration and yields undeniable results. More at drexel.edu. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. So we have two microphones here if you have questions. They must be questions. They cannot just be statements. A question ends like this and has a question mark in it. Uh, let's start over here. Hi. Um, I just wanted to ask, uh, what would you say to voters who fear that uh, voting third party is uh, essentially throwing away uh, your vote? I've heard that a lot. And what would you say to someone who's fearful of losing their vote, especially in a two-party system? I'll take this question. Um, so the fact is that there are, again, 90% of districts around the country where you know who's going to win anyway. So if anyone's making you throw your vote away right now, it's a two-party system enforcing the, the, the current anti-competitiveness. 
But the second thing is that we should all be fighting for ranked choice voting so we can all vote for whomever we want and then no one has to ever waste their vote ever again. And when you take that to your elected leaders, say, hey, why don't we switch to this more modern voting system that, by the way, rewards uh, moderation, collegiality, women and underrepresented minorities, listen to what they say. Because that is what is keeping us from being able to actually vote the way we want and then no one will ever waste their vote again. Um, so I just have a quick little blurb. I'm an election poll worker. So I would encourage everybody to do that Yay. this election. Um, sorry. Um, my question would be, I guess, with regarding election reform, since it costs so much to run for office with, you know, with the forward <laughs> party or any other parties involved, how do you think that would change regarding people running for office and if it would encourage more opportunities for people that can't afford to do so? Uh, we have to get money out of politics to the extent possible. Uh, I'm attending something to overturn Citizens United. Is it doable? Maybe, uh, looking at a constitutional amendment. Um, I'm personally for things like democracy dollars that put resources in people's hands so that they, they can get behind candidates that they like. But the single best way to help candidates rise up is to create a truly open system. Because right now, if you go to one of the two major parties, you know the first thing they'll ask you? How much money can you raise? Your question? Oh, yes, two quick questions. First, do you worry about the drain of some of the most reasonable people from both other parties, what the effect of that might be? And then secondly, what about getting offices uh, reclassified as nonpartisan, like Dan Satterberg, the county attorney in, in Seattle, got his prosecutor's office. It's now a nonpartisan office, and we could do that for lots of local offices. Let me take the first question, sure. you take the second one. And it goes to a very fundamental principle about the drain of rational voters from the two major parties. Those voters are available to those parties. And the new party movement does not need to apologize if it is attractive to those voters. Because what it's a reflection of is that those voters are disaffected by the major parties. And so the greatest success of the new party movement in the United States might be to strengthen the two major parties that expand their coalition. Understand, I mean, that statistically, this is remarkable. We live our elections on the razor edge. Which party is <laughs> going to get 51 to 49? Imagine a party that says, hey, how do we expand our tent to get 60%? Only in national politics is half a tent considered a big tent, right? The party that says, oh, we have a couple moderates, now we're a big tent. No, you're not. You're a 50% party. So I think one of the things that is wrestled with in the new party movement is this very question. There shouldn't be guilt for attracting people to your movement. The guilt should be among the major parties that lose those voters for failing to speak to them. Now, to your point about nonpartisan offices, heck yes. Like the more, uh, more offices that can be reclassified in that way uh, is an enormous win. The parties see the power of what you're saying, which is if we can make school board and county commission districts partisan races as opposed to nonpartisan races, we can get voters to behave in a different way. A great academic study in the last 20 years says we're playing this left-right analysis completely wrong, that what we've actually created is our two tribes. And yeah. you can see it in today's Republican Party. The emergence of conservatism to the Tea Party to angry populism didn't create attrition in the Republican Party. The tribes stayed together. It wasn't a left-right conviction. It was a tribalism conviction. And so Republicans and Democrats, particularly Republicans today, say, if we can make our most local races partisan races, we can excite that tribe to win races. Well, it looks like our time is up. David, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you to the Texas Tribune for having us. Thank you, Dean. Thank you. 
Andrew Yang as a former candidate for president in 2020 and candidate for mayor of New York City in 2021. He is co-chair of the Forward Party. David Jolly is a former congressman and executive chairman of the Serve America movement, which merged with the Forward Party. This conversation was recorded at the 2022 Texas Tribune Festival. You can learn more at tribfest.org. The Argument is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Phoebe Lett, Vishaka Durba, and Derek Arthur. Edited by Alison Brujek and Annabelle Bacon. With original music by Isaac Jones and Pat McCusker. And mixing by Pat McCusker. Fact-checking by Kate Sinclair, Michelle Harris, and Mary Marge Locker. Audience strategy by Shannon Busta, with editorial support from Christina Samuelewski.